How often do you look backwards? How often do you think backwards? We take time sometimes during worship to remember, to think back. Uh, And that's not always a bad thing. Um, But in general, I think that looking backwards could be somewhat dangerous. Because the temptation to look in the past uh, can draw you to live in the past. If you're not aware of it, nostalgia can be a killer. We tend to romanticize what was and forget how it really was. And it causes us to be less present here and certainly thinking less about the future. When you're driving down the road, your windshield takes up the vast majority of your vision. Now you have a small, tiny sliver of that dedicated to looking behind you. But you can imagine if uh, the danger to a driver and to traffic and pedestrians in general if you reverse the two, if you were looking at a giant mirror with just a sliver looking forward. Some people live like that, reminiscing about the good old days, how things were in high school, how things were in their younger 20s or 30s, uh, how much better the world was back then. I caution you that nostalgia can be a killer. The kingdom is a place for people who don't look back. And we're going to talk about that tonight as we think a little bit about cultural issues and just thinking about what we were redeemed from, the temptation, the siren song of the world, is to always call us back, to always beckon us back with open and welcoming arms to what we used to be. Christ calls us to move forward. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 Um, the doctor records this part of Jesus' life. Luke chapter 9, verse 57, is about where we're starting. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord... Let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit or the kingdom of God. If I can identify a set of scriptures that vehemently opposes seeker-sensitive churches and the idea that we just do whatever, if you're not familiar with seeker-sensitive, the idea is that church is really for just attracting, just in every way we can, people from the world uh, with almost everything but the gospel. And Jesus here, in an interesting, you know, for a rabbi, for a teacher, someone who was 
growing in popularity, sort of building a ministry, making a name for himself. From a worldly perspective, this does not make sense at all. I mean, if someone had said today, hey, I want to follow you guys. I want to be with you at Northside. Um, I think we'd jump right in. Yeah, sure, come on. We'll find a place for you. We'll find a place where you can fit in and use your gifts. But Jesus, these three interactions show us that he had something different in mind for the kingdom. And so I've called tonight's lesson, Don't Go Back. A reminder that when we are a part of the kingdom, uh, we have a, a vigilance that's required of us, and that is this, to be ever pressing forward. Uh, there's an old song, uh, maybe Jim will lead it for us sometime, uh, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Uh, the idea being that a kingdom, the kingdom of God, is a forward-looking people. It's, a, it's an eternity looking people. It's not a people who look longingly to what was behind them. It's not a people who look wistfully at the past. No, we're, we're leaving the past where it belongs behind us. Let's, let's delve into this thought just a little bit. First, um, part of being in the kingdom means moving from, from death to life. If you turn in Romans 6, if you're following along, we're going to read a good chunk of that first part of the chapter, uh, starting in verse 1 of Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. When I baptized Zaley this morning, I got a little nostalgic. And then I corrected my thinking, and I said, it's not... I, I've, Stop selfishly thinking about you know, when you were that young and being baptized and all of that. Instead, I got excited for Zaley, thinking of what lies ahead for her if she remains faithful to the Lord. What happened in there this morning was a death, according to Romans 6, a dying to the old self. That's part of the the Christian commitment, when you're baptized into Christ, you're, you're not just being saved from something, that's true, but you're also being saved for something, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Keep reading. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will, shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That doesn't mean we don't sin, we're just not enslaved to it. It 
doesn't have the power over us that it did when we were dead in our sins. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Note the forward-looking here. We, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? What's the answer? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, having become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." There's a lot of depth here, but but Paul's really just reminding the Christians at Rome of who they were, and more importantly, that they're not called to stay there. They've been called from sin to righteousness, from death to life, from death to resurrection, mirroring exactly what Jesus did. So then the gospel doesn't just reenact in a baptism. The gospel reenacts in our lives in Christ, in our walk with Christ. As you're being moved from death to life, in the process the theological word is called sanctification, you're being moved from death into an entirely new life. Now, you say, well, I know I'll be resurrected someday. That's true. But you should be being resurrected in a daily basis. You should be a new version of you, not by your own works, but by God working in you. So don't go back to your old ways. Number two, kingdom people cannot affirm the world's ways. Now, this is pointed to what we were talking about this morning as we talked about sexual sin. And this one is a little bit of a, a deeper point. It's, it's more for Sunday night study. I, I want you to ponder this with me. But turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a short chapter. The whole chapter is, is much shorter than the section that we just read, just 13 verses in length. And <laughs> when I was driving by this church with the, the rainbow flag out front, and they're, they're celebrating and they're affirming sin, and I'm asking, what does God think of this? And then I'm thinking, my second question is, what does the word teach us? God, do you have any? And I thought, 1 Corinthians 5. Because the church, the church at Corinth dealt with sexual sin. They had quite a bit of it happening. And, and to such an extent that Paul addressed it in his letters very 
very directly. And this is what he, where he deals with 1 Corinthians 5. <clears throat> it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. See, they went back. They decided that the, that the stuff that they left, the death of sin, actually sounded kind of good. And of a kind that's not even tolerated, even among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. So we've got an incestual situation here. And you are arrogant, some translations say, and you are proud. Corinth kind of celebrated themselves to be an affirming church. Look how tolerant we are. Look how accepting we are. And Paul says, oh, oh, hold on a second. That's not who you're called to be. You're not a backward-moving people. You are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. He's saying churches, healthy churches, don't celebrate sin. Healthy churches mourn sin. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, and you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, Paul has great concern for this unnamed, errant brother who has gone backward. He put his hand to the plow and he, and he looked back. He, he thought somehow he could mock God and live sort of on both sides of the fence. Paul says, remove him, that his flesh might be destroyed, but that his spirit might be saved. Verse 6. Your boasting is not good. You know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, uh, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Make a point here that by keeping and by tolerating this, what's the natural ramifications of tolerating sin and celebrating sin amongst yourselves is that it's going to spread. There's an old, uh, I don't remember if it's marketing or where it, what area of the business world comes out of, but it says, what gets rewarded gets repeated. And that's really true. If you want... Behavior to repeat, you just simply need to reward it of any type. Okay, um, your uh, your points that you have, you know, through I, I presume Chick Fil A. Um, you know, there's a reason why most restaurants have a point system. There's a reason that they have a little system where you can build up and get a free Coke or a free dessert or whatever it might be. Because what gets rewarded gets repeated. And they're, they're more likely to have a long-term customer as someone who may have 
close to 100,000 lifetime Chick-fil-A points. If you don't believe that, I'll show you afterwards. Um, uh, That's not a point of spiritual pride. That is uh, evidence of my gluttony. Um, When you, in a spiritual body, begin to reward that which God condemns, you're only going to have more of that which God condemns. It's the natural repercussion. Paul uses the illustration of, of leaven. This tiny little ye- uh, amount of yeast works easily throughout the whole batch of dough. Jesus said the same thing. Okay, It works for us and it works against us, so we have to be careful. Number nine, I, w- I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. This is interesting, verse 10. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world, or the greedy, the swindlers, idolaters. Then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those who inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Okay? The kingdom cannot affirm the world's ways unless they want to be more like the world. Paul's strict, uh, no holds barred, here's how you deal with this is for a reason. It's because he loves this brother, and he doesn't want him to burn. It's because he loves the church at Corinth, and he doesn't want to watch them go down in flames. And so he's clear, you've got to deal with this as a church. A good lesson for us, a continual reminder for us, that the kingdom is not a place where we affirm the world's ways. Now, we have ministries that reach people who are struggling with sin, who are wrestling with sin. All of those acknowledge it's sin. Then we're on a completely different page when you say, yes, it's sin, yes, it's wrong, I, I don't want to live in this way. We're, we're, we're in a place now where we can work together. And we, kingdom people, ought to work together to move people from death to life, to move people from sin to righteousness. But we can't start by affirming the world's ways. Uh, affirming theology starts there. Okay? And that's very different. That's saying, well, listen, we know you're that way, We accept you're that way, and we have no expectation of change or repentance. That's a problem, according to Paul. That's not something that church should be proud of. Um, And that's, that's not a good way to move forward in your Christian walk. So we can't affirm the world's ways. Number four, new creatures cannot live... As old creatures. Turn one chapter over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He's still, I think, addressing the issue in chapter 5, but he 
jumps into another matter of them taking each other to court out in the public square and, and all of the issues that that caused. But then he kind of circles back and he says this, verses 9 through 12, or I'm sorry, 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. These are the people who took their sinful behavior and made it into an identity. But the good news is that their story was not done Verse 11, and such were some of you. The beautiful story of redemption is the word were. I really like that. I think that's powerful when you begin to see a kingdom full of people who were thieves, were homosexuals, were adulterers, were swindlers, were drunkards. But because of Christ, they are no longer. And they don't look back except to say, look what God did. I don't know if you've been to see the movie The Blind, uh, I don't even know, actually, if it's still showing in Wichita or not. Maybe. If if it is, you owe it to yourself to go see it. If you've missed the opportunity, as soon as it comes out on streaming or iTunes or wherever, buy it, whatever it costs. Completely worth it. If you don't know, it's the story of Phil Robertson. And if you don't know Phil Robertson, of the, he's kind of the patriarch of the Duck Dynasty family. But Phil's got a story. It's the story of the prodigal. And this movie deals with that story. Now, you don't hear a lot about that story. I didn't didn't know about that story other than through this movie. Because Phil doesn't talk about being the prodigal. That's not who he is today. He shares the gospel. There's an article about the blind coming out, and there's a picture of Phil and Kay watching the movie as it came out, and reporter asked, what's it like to watch that movie of who you used to be? And his words were, it's embarrassing. That's not who I am now. And I'm ashamed of what I did to myself and to my wife and to our family. Uh, This is decades later, something he's been forgiven of, but he still carries shame when he sees it on the big screen, as, as probably any of us would if we were to have our sins put out there. But what's been amazing is that movie, I try not to give too much away, but it's a story of redemption. And Phil said, if it, it is embarrassing, but if God can use it to bring hope to other people who are still there, then I'm okay with that. Obviously, Phil didn't do it for the money. I think he's doing okay. But 
to me, the blind just (laughs) is a good representation, or maybe the other way around, of 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. That's who you were, but you're no longer. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Were. It's who you were. It's not who you are. Because you were washed, you were justified, and you were sanctified through Christ Jesus. So don't look back. I don't know what your story is, if you had a story like Phil Robertson's or if you had a little more sanitized life. But I hope that wherever you came from, you're not looking back to. Christ calls us to move forward. One who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is a forward-looking people. Can we use our past? Sure. Can we remember it? Carefully, but yes. Can God redeem it? Obviously. But God doesn't call us to live there. He has far, far greater things ahead of us than he does behind us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the the instruction from your word and the reminder that your kingdom, your people, is not for people who live in the past, but for people who are looking forward to an eternal home, a house not made with human hands, but by your hands. Lord, we ask for your blessing that our hearts have been open and receptive to your word, that we might let these words impact our hearts, change our actions and our lives, and spread the light of your glory and goodness wherever we go. Lead us to souls this week, Lord. There are people who are still in the world who have not yet been redeemed from it. And continue to strengthen Northside that we may never be a a church that celebrates or affirms sin, but a church that celebrates and loves repentance and redemption. Thank you, Lord, for the kingdom of the Son you love. And we pray this in the name of the Son you love and the Son we love too. In Jesus' name, amen.